0: Welcome to The Right to Shower, critical conversations on homelessness and cleanliness.
1: Welcome back to The Right to Shower, conversations with social experts and leaders on why access to cleanliness is a human right. This podcast is brought to you by The Right to Shower. The Right to Shower helps build mobile showers for those experiencing homelessness. Stick around at the end of the podcast to learn about how you can get involved. I'm your host, Darius Baxter, president and CEO of Good Projects, and today's episode is all about how you or anyone can help people experiencing homelessness. If you're listening to this show, you're likely aware of how deep-seated and challenging of a social phenomenon that homelessness is to address. You're probably also curious how you as an individual can have an impact. Joining us to discuss how anyone can get involved is the Director of Development and Operations at the Greater Cincinnati Homeless Coalition, Ms. Mona Jenkins. Welcome to the Right to Shower podcast, Mona.
0: Thank you, Darius. I'm glad to be here.
1: Mona, we are uh, always excited. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself to get the podcast started today?
0: Sure. So I consider myself to be just an engaged community member. Some of the work that I do in the community is just being an everyday person who loves. Anyone can do it. I just happen to hold a megaphone to my mouth when I do it, right? It's, it's the community's voice, and I'm just amplifying it and a role that we can all share.
1: Certainly. I'm always interested when guests come onto our show, because at the end of the day, people can see all of the public-facing things that you do, and they can assume your motivations. But what is it that truly drives you to do the work that you do?
0: I grew up in a neighborhood where we all looked out for each other. When you think about the world, that's all we really are. We're all living in, in one giant neighborhood and taking care of one another. And so when our dinner table was set, if someone knocked on the door, they were welcomed in. That's just the way we were. I grew up on streets where everyone knew each other. We all know each other's names. I can go back right now. Here it is 30, 40 years later and know that this house was Miss Evans' house. And generationally, we grew up together, fed each other, disciplined each other, right? So if uh, I got in trouble with the neighbors down the street, they disciplined me, and and my grandparents found out I got disciplined by them, and then my mama found out I got disciplined by them. So it it was really it took a village to raise a child, and I just still you know continue on with that same thought process.
1: Now, I understand, you talk about this idea of community. I know oh too well, and my role is the the CEO of Good Projects. That's literally the primary thing that we're doing. Our our mission is more broad in the sense of trying to alleviate poverty across the world. But our number one premise is the understanding that that doesn't happen if the community is not involved in the process. We think about social impact. We think about philanthropy. Um, we think about helping people always as sort of this Iron Man type figure flying in to save the day. But it's the things that you're mentioning right now, Mona, that are just taken for granted. The simple fact of just building community um, and then once that community is built, giving people the resources to be able to serve and help themselves. But let me ask you, what role does community play in combating homelessness? Something that obviously you're very, very passionate about.
0: Yes. Having a house, a place to lay your head, that is safe, is the first part of your physical and mental well-being. We believe that housing is is healthcare. It should be a prescription, to be honest with you. It takes care of us. It is there to protect us. And so when changes are happening within a community, we should all be involved with that, right? So, when a community is seeing new development and what we're seeing across the country, a lot of gentrification is happening in predominantly black neighborhoods. It's up to us to say, okay, you know, we all want growth, we all want development. We just want to make sure it's happening in an inclusive way, it's happening to where it's not damaging or making folks move out of the neighborhoods that they've grown in and lived in for 20, 30, 40 years, multiple generations, right? And so when it's happening, we need to be included in those decisions, right? We have a say in, if the development is coming in, okay, you're building new housing, but am I going to be able to afford the housing that you're building, right? Who is this serving? What is your intention? And if it's not with the intention of serving the community, then it's not being done right. But we can work together to make sure it's done right.
1: Certainly, but I want to make sure I understand your point that you're making here, Mona. Are you making the assertion that redevelopment or we'll use that buzzword, gentrification is one of the, the leading drivers of homelessness?
0: It is a contributing factor. When you have a certain number of, and I'll say affordable, right? And let's talk about that term. Affordable doesn't necessarily mean just Subsidized housing. It means that you as an individual should never spend any more than 30% of your income for your housing. So it could be renting an apartment. It could be your mortgage. You really should not pay more than 30%. What's been happening is when this new development comes in, it's now at a higher rate to where folks cannot are paying more than 30% of their income for their rent or for their mortgage, you know, and then when certain units, when they become inhabitable, such as molds growing, or you know, landlords are not maintaining the unit to where they now have to do significant repairs, and they're not bringing it back on online or leasing it again. Then that creates a shortage of livable places for people as well. So there's a lot of contributing factors, but one of the largest factors is the fact that developments happening in neighborhoods and it's targeting a certain group of folks and usually not the group of folks that already live there.
1: And when we look at sort of this big brother <laughs> that is bulldozing in the communities and causing a lot of the, the issues that you've spent your life fighting for, you, you defined yourself to start this interview as a community builder. What can we be doing to actually be able to build community, especially in this time, and more importantly, sustain it to fight a lot of these issues?
0: I think one of the places that folks can plug into are your community councils or your city councils, depending on how your district showing up. And a lot of times that's where the first place where developers are showing up to say, hey, we're looking to do this in the neighborhood. And a lot of times that's where the most important voice is going to come in. So if you participate in your community council, Listen to what's being presented and talk about how this affects you. And that's something that we need to encourage more often, more broadly. And don't be afraid to ask questions. If someone's coming in and saying, oh, we're going to do this, try to understand what that means, right? A lot of times we don't understand the language that they're using. Uh, They'll use words as affordable, affordable to whom, right? Affordable to working class folks, affordable to folks who make over $120,000. What does this mean? A lot of times they'll use acronyms. Don't be afraid to ask what the acronym (laughs) is. Yeah. You know, that's one of the most- It
1: counts me. They love their their acronyms. They love their acronyms.
0: Right. The AMI and ORI and APR and all that. And then we get confused and we just say, oh, we feel as if we're- There's no
1: dumb questions and change.
0: Right. Those questions that we don't ask that get left on the table are usually the ones that end up affecting us the most.
1: Or things they don't want you to know.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So don't be afraid and, and ask for it. A lot of times in print. One thing that was happening with in my community council meeting was they come present for three to four minutes and then say, OK, let's vote. No, we're not about to vote right now. How about you send me this in print so I can do the research behind it? We'll vote next month. Right. So that's something like don't be afraid to ask for more time. So you gain that knowledge. Don't be afraid to ask other folks. Don't be afraid to converse with your other neighbors. Hey, what do you think about this?
1: But you, you do you understand how well, I don't have to tell you? The confidence that you even say those statements with and the the strength and the courage to be able to hold people accountable around you for the populations that you love and serve is something that we don't necessarily see at scale, particularly here in the States. But let me push you a little bit here, because there's one thing to be sort of informed, but there is another thing to be involved. One thing that you'll hear me say time and time again, and I know our listeners have heard me say it before it's this idea to know of a problem and not to do something about it makes you a part of the crime. In your case, you have made yourself keenly aware of the issues, but then you've fought and clawed and put yourself in the ring to be involved. For those that are listening that say, okay, I might know about this issue but I don't know what to do. What are some ways that they can get involved?
0: One of the things that I push for folks to do is to, like I said, plug into that community council, plug into places where those discussions are happening.
1: But like you said, those those community council meetings are happening on a monthly basis. What can we do today? If I hear this podcast today and I'm like, I want to do something right here, right now. What is something that people can be doing in their communities?
0: Talking to their neighbors first to learn about their own housing situations. How do you feel? Do you feel threatened? You know, do you feel as if, and especially in neighborhoods where they already know probably change is, is coming. Change is coming across the country. But at what time frame? When is it going to happen? Some folks are going through it right now. Some folks have already been through it. Having those conversations is going to be important amongst your neighbors. That's the first place. Talk to your neighbors. What's going on with them? You know, a lot of times we're looking out the window and seeing our neighbors moving out, but we're not asking, hey, what actually, what prompted you to move? And especially some of our long-term elders, why are they moving? That should be a huge red flag. If for some reason, our elders are moving out of the neighborhood, what happened? It's okay to ask and just say, how can I help? What do you need me to do? And sometimes it's as simple as sharing the story. Sometimes it might be, and all of us have some sort of skills. It doesn't have to be that Uh, skills that we have to lead the community. It could be something as simple as drafting up a flyer. It could be something as simple as speaking your own truth, talking. That's all, right? And, And that's the first is being in these conversations, creating these conversations to then figure out who else do we need to talk to. And eventually that buzz will create that atmosphere and will guide you in the direction of what's the next step to do.
1: A hundred percent. And before we, because I I do want us to have the opportunity to talk about homelessness today, but I think a great lead in for that, Mona. You have a celebrated career of advocacy. For those of our listeners that may not be aware of the legend that is Mona Jenkins, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to the point that you are today and some of the, the volunteerism and then also the organized work that you've done over the years?
0: Sure. Where do I begin? You know, it's interesting because my grandmother told me the story about how when she was pregnant with my mother, she had some complications. And, you know, this is back in 1937. They told my grandmother to throw my mother away, that she was not going to live. And this was her first child. And she said, absolutely not. And she took care of her. And I really believe, I mean, my ancestors have fought. Right. I mean, just the fact that they survived that boat ride over. And I just feel as if I'm continuing that legacy of they fought for themselves and their community. I feel as if I'm just a piece of that legacy. Growing up, my grandparents were a huge part of my community and they gathered the neighborhood kids, was one of the main founders of an agency called the Matthews Dickey's Boys Club in St. Louis one of the last still standing independently owned Boys and Girls Club in the country. And it was because of their community involvement and me being surrounded by that contributes to what I do now. You know, my grandma would wash the uniforms for the kids who were playing baseball or football. My uncle was one of the first coaches of the football team. My grandfather would cook up barbecue dinners and sell it to raise funds for all of that. So he, Mr. Matthews and Mr. Dickies all formed one of the most well-known boys and girls clubs in the country. So seeing that, it it just started from there and always asking, you know, community members or or folks who I came across, you know, what do you need to basically thrive, not just survive in your everyday life? Like I said, it's all out of love. And, And when you love unconditionally, you take care of one another.
1: Say that again for me one time, Mona. Say it one more time for me so the people in the back can hear you. When you love,
0: what? When you love unconditionally, you do what it takes to ensure that folks are thriving and not just surviving.
1: Certainly. And you have have loved unconditionally in everything that you've done. Can you speak to me a little bit about, I know you're doing a lot of great work here domestically, but what does your love look like in the work that you're doing abroad?
0: I've traveled a lot. (laughs) I think to understand who I truly am as a human being and my place in this world, I've always been curious about exploring it and to see how other folks live and how their culture contributes to how they move on this earth. And so I've done a lot of volunteering, building homes. I've done built medical centers. I've taught in various countries, English as a second language. French as a second language. And it's, it's all been an amazing experience. One, to just be able to live with folks, right? Because you could travel and, and stay at a hotel, but you really never get a great idea as far as the actual lifestyle, unless you're you're truly embedded. And so I've just been blessed to come across some of the most amazing folks And to be able to share a community with them and to to be a part. One of my greatest experiences when I went to Senegal and got to be amongst it was a, a renowned chef here who actually happened to be back in Senegal during that time frame. So we got connected. He took us to our village, invited many of the women who lived in that village, and they sat and invited me to help cook with them. And they said, You look like us, and you're always welcome. And to be greeted and welcomed. Like, this is your home. It just brought tears to my eyes. And it it was just a beautiful experience to know that, you know, I always have somewhere else that I can feel love and appreciate it.
1: Certainly. And this concept of love, Mona, I just I'm really enjoying speaking with you today because it's not often you get to talk about that four letter word. When you operate from a place of love, you realize that it creeps into every aspect of your life, especially when you find yourself in a space where you're serving. Because as I'm sure you're keenly aware of, a lot of people operate within this space and they may have the best of intentions, but if love, loving the person that they're serving isn't their number one priority, then the work looks a lot different. So understanding sort of your foundation, it tells me a lot. When I was doing my research and watching your TED Talk and kind of understanding where you were coming from, I was like, okay, I, I'm talking to you. I get it now. I get it now. And one of the things that really stood out to me was this way that you communicate Uh, and this is your words, you communicate about those that are experiencing homelessness. There's no homeless person. A homeless person doesn't exist. There are only people that experience homelessness. Can you talk to me a little bit about the importance of that language? And what are the considerations that you take when you are discussing those that are experiencing homelessness?
0: Again, housing is a human right. And so when
1: Hold on say that, say that one more time, Mona. Housing is a what? Oh my god, you speaking truth to power today.
0: It's a human right. When they talk about necessities, it's food, clothing, and shelter. The three necessities to live.
1: You tapping into Maslow right now, Mona. Don't tell me what a good time.
0: When you talk about that, for someone to live and then to basically not have housing. That means it should be a temporary thing. So we say this person is experiencing. This is not their identity. This is not who they truly are. So we say this person is experiencing homelessness because we know, we believe that one day, hopefully tomorrow, but maybe not tomorrow, maybe a week from now, maybe four months, they will be somewhere where they find safety, they find comfort, they can build an actual home, not just be in a house. Something, again, that helps them exist and to thrive in this world.
1: Certainly. But what are some of the common misconceptions that you've seen surrounding homelessness?
0: A lot of folks assume that, oh, you're experiencing homelessness because you're on drugs, you have a mental health issue. And that's actually a small percentage in both cases. A lot of times folks experience homelessness and then all of a sudden, because they've experienced that trauma of losing their housing, it then may kick in some mental health factors. So for instance, like schizophrenia. Schizophrenia usually is a late onset that is triggered by some trauma and that trauma can be experiencing homelessness. A lot of times folks may cope with losing their housing by drinking or smoking or doing other substance, you know, taking in other substances. And because of, you know, who we are and if you have an addiction, that may continue on. So those are some things to think about. Any of us can experience homelessness at any time, at any time.
1: Especially today, one, not even a one full paycheck, one half a paycheck, let a couple hours get cut. Whole life will be different these days. Yeah, exactly. If I'm a listener and I want to help an unhoused community, what are some things that I can do? Is it enough to simply vote? Should I give money to to someone experiencing homelessness on the street? Is that enough?
0: There's different ways, right? So there's meeting the immediate need. Someone who is experiencing homelessness may need a meal, may not have eaten. So you can provide money to them. You can provide food to them. The biggest thing would be to ask them, what do you need? How can I help? Let them tell you what they need. Because it might be someone needs help filling out an application for assistance, or they just need a little bit of gas money to get to the job. A lot of times there's micro level and there's macro level. But the most important thing is basically respecting that person as a human being and treating them as such and asking them. What do they need? You would ask a friend what they need. And to be honest with you, anyone experiencing homelessness should be your friend too, because that's about love. And on a macro level, again, you can start off with learning, participate in your community council, participate in meetings to learn more. On a macro level, you should be asking your local and county governments, what are y'all doing? And here's what we need to do. And it needs to be immediate. And you can team up with some folks, you know, like here in Cincinnati, folks will come to us and say, because we have more knowledge. I wouldn't say we're experts. We're all learning in the process. Help us. We we see folks who are losing their housing. What can we do and plug into those areas?
1: Certainly, you keep coming back to this point of getting involved at the, the local level in regards to uh, politics and civic engagement. But where are some good places that people can, obviously, you're very well informed. Where are some good places that people can stay informed, either about national trends, Or issues that may be happening in their local communities.
0: Yeah. So the local communities, again, I would say your community councils, plugging into your city government. And a lot, you know, one thing that came out of the pandemic is that now a lot of times you can catch things online and view things. A lot of us have agencies, you know, you may not know what agency to go to, but I bet you there's shelters in your, in your community. And maybe just stopping in and saying, Hey, who are you working with regarding issues around housing where should i go to who should i talk to how can i get in these conversations how can we amplify what's what's happening again and and just talking to your neighbors anyone can actually organize it's a based on your knowledge and what steps you need to do to support someone who is experiencing the issue that you're you're addressing if you're addressing homelessness talking to folks who are actually experiencing homelessness Because those are the folks who should be at the forefront. We don't know how to address an issue unless you've been through it. We can't come up with the solutions. I can say, oh, all we need to do is build a house. But when you haven't talked to that person who actually, I don't have the income because the wages aren't at the right level to afford this housing. Those conversations are the most important thing that are, are leading any type of work those closest to the, to the problem and the closest to the solution and then recognizing that let those folks lead
1: snap snap break snap break you know when I, I want to share a story with you it's, it's ironic it actually happened to me just last night good projects was blessed to be honored at the the washington wizards game and after the game out celebrating with a friend and we're standing out at a, a you know, one of those restaurants that f- that are out in the street and you like order from a window. And I'm ordering the food, ordering the food. And obviously since we started the right to shower podcast, I've, I've learned a lot about those experiencing homelessness. And this idea of leading with love is very important to me as well. But you talk about your upbringing. Now, mine is fairly similar. Having a grandmother from South Carolina, a mother, I say from the South too, she from Southeast, but, uh, basically the South. And, uh, this gentleman experiencing homelessness barges up to the window in front of everybody. He sees me in the front of the line, maybe uh, something sent them my way. And uh, he just butts in front of everybody. He's like, yo, can you get me some food? This was the love in me, the tough love. I look him in his eye. And I say, you better talk to me like you got some sense. This is an older gentleman, he's about 40, 40 years old, 40, 50 years old. And you see his whole world stop for a second. Was like nobody had ever saw him for however long as a human being. So in his mind, he was operating through the world as if like he didn't have to have manners, <laughs> have a salutation and say hello <laughs> to anybody. And in that moment, he paused for a second. and He said, I'm sorry, man. Can you give me some food? I said, I would be happy to, brother. But you should probably ask these people who you have cut in front of if it's okay if you get in front of them. And you see his again, his whole demeanor changed. He went, and he was like, I'm. Saying he went and apologized. And he was like, oh, my bad, guys. And afterwards, I, I have a I have a conversation with him. I'm like, you know, so tell me, what are you struggling with? And then he goes into sort of his experience of of uh, drug abuse and how that led him mm-hmm. him to experiencing homelessness. But I thought that moment was very important, right? Because you could tell. Just from the simple fact of even in that case, somebody holding him accountable to being a human being changed his whole perception of how both he's viewed in the world and how he should be communicating his wants and needs to others. I share that story because I really want to hear from you. Why is it so important? First, the way that we talk to those experiencing homelessness and also the way that we talk about these issues.
0: So often folks who are experiencing homelessness feel dehumanized. In the process, how they move about, and so what I heard in that story, it may be, it may have been that he felt like he had to speak to you in that way in order to feel heard, not knowing that you would have received him if he had just said, "Hey, man, you know, do you mind? I me a slice of pizza, or you know, getting some food." But you turned it around, and by showing that, he probably he woke up and was like, "You know what? I didn't have to go through that process." I think we should all just kind of realize one. In how we deal with anyone, regardless of if they're experiencing an issue or not, when we approach folks having that concept of they have their own experiences and maybe those experiences are influencing how they are approaching us, I take that always into consideration. So when someone approaches me and says something that I kind of find offensive, I look at it like, where's this coming from? Why is it that they're saying it this way? And then start having the conversations, and through those conversations, I learn a little bit more about where they're coming from, and I have a better understanding. And I think if we just all try to have a better understanding of each other, that's a key point in, in communications, and that's with any relationship, right? You can be dating somebody, and you're like, "Why did you? <laughs> why did you do this? Right? Why did you leave these dishes in the sink?" But you communicate, and that's how you find out, and that's just all that we, we need to do, and just seeing each other as as human beings. And, and so often, it happens more frequently with folks who are experiencing homelessness. It happens more frequently with folks who are differently abled. It happens more frequently when we encounter folks who are not like us, that there's a misunderstanding, and we just need to overcome that misunderstanding.
1: Certainly, and it wouldn't be the Right to Shower podcast. If we didn't talk a little bit about one of the things that makes all of us feel human, something that we take for granted all too often the power of a shower in your experience what role has something as simple as cleanliness played in how people experience homelessness
0: it's a myth it's 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 a misconception and we see it so often there's this assumption that if you're experiencing homelessness you're dirty you're not clean you're not taking care of yourself and that's not the case it can be you know sometimes folks don't have access to a shower right but think of how we who don't experience homelessness? How good we feel when we can wake up in the morning, take a shower, use our favorite soap—that scented soap—and scrub ourselves down, and put on a, a fresh shirt or a fresh dress, and we walk out with that confidence, and we don't think anything about it. We have hot water. Some places don't have hot water. We we take that for granted. We take so many things, the little things, for granted. I can't tell you how much I appreciated water once. You know, I was in. Haiti and realized that children had to walk four miles to get a bucket filled just to have water. And so when the first time I came back to take a shower and it was hot, I can't tell you how much of an appreciation I had. And and every day when I turn in that shower, I said, thank you. I have water and I have hot water. I mean, even in California, they go through droughts, right? So we don't think about that. And so again, it goes into that dehumanizing where we make assumptions that folks who are experiencing homelessness are always unclean and that that's not the case i wish we did have more showers available public showers where folks can go because that is something that is needed we all need it again it's that basic right that everyone should have
1: well mona i i I truly want to uh just say thank you for all the work that you have done all the work that you are doing and all the work that you will continue to do i have no doubt And whether through our listeners or some divine intervention, I have no doubt there will be an overflow of resources into your work to continue to be able to serve the populations that you do. Can you share a little bit to our listeners? What are some of the advocacy programs being championed by the Greater Cincinnati Homeless Coalition at this time? And how can people help?
0: So right now, what we are trying to do is we were able to get an affordable housing trust fund established with our city in 2018. The problem now is that there's no dedicated funding source. So we are advocating currently to make sure that the city dedicates money to go into that fund. And a lot of different cities across the country have affordable housing trust funds. So that's something that people can simply Google affordable housing trust fund in your local city, read about how it works, read about what, how much funding is in there, learn who all is involved and question, okay, is this enough Funding in here to provide housing in your particular city, and if not, then try to come up with some ways as far as what needs to happen for more affordable housing to be in, included in your cities. And so, with this, we are also asking that each project, development project that happens, includes some portion of affordable housing, right? So you can build market rate, like we said, we don't have a problem with development. We just want to make sure that when you're developing something, that it's available to all. So you can do your market rate.
1: For our listeners, help them understand. So what is what is the difference when you talk about this between when we talk about affordable housing versus sub- subsidized housing versus market rate housing? What do these terms mean?
0: Sure. So when we say affordable housing, it means that you're not paying any more than 30% of your income for your rent and utilities. And affordable can include if you're renting or on your mortgage so when we say subsidized, subsidized could be affordable it is meant to be affordable but not all affordable housing is subsidized a lot of times in our language we when we say affordable we automatically assume it's subsidized it does not mean subsidized everyone 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 needs affordable housing you should not be paying more than 30 percent of your income for your rent or your mortgage And when we say market rate, that just means that there is no additional funding that is covering those expenses. Basically, you're paying yourself out of pocket based on your wages, your salary, the asking price of the market.
1: So where can our listeners learn more about Mona Jenkins? Where can they learn more about the Greater Cincinnati Homeless Coalition?
0: So you can follow us um, on Facebook, Instagram, Greater Cincinnati Homeless Coalition. You can also check out our website at www.cintihomeless, which is C-I-N-T-I homeless.org. And always feel free to email me at Mona Jenkins at Cintihomeless, that's C-I-N-T-I homeless.org. If you have any questions.
1: Well, after this amazing interview, Be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. I have no doubt that that inbox is going to be overflowing. And one thing that we we like to do to close out the Right to Shower podcast, Mona, do you have an affirmation that you will want to leave our listeners with today?
0: Lead with love. And when you lead with love, that love will be returned to you.
1: Hey, we'll take it. Thanks again to Mona for being with us today and inspiring us to get informed and get involved. If we can develop a sense of community with those around us, extending a helping hand gets that much easier. If you're looking for some ways to get started, you can visit therighttoshower.com slash get involved to learn more about opportunities to volunteer or donate. You can also buy our shower products on therighttoshower.com or through Amazon. For every soap you buy and shower you take, you help us bring showers to the streets. Another free and simple way you can help us to rate this podcast Leave a review or share it with friends so we can spread the power of the shower to even more people. I'm Darius Baxter, and this has been The Right to Shower.